All right. So uh, I believe we stopped with verse 11. Am I right? I think so, yeah. That's what I think I remember. Christian, would you read verses uh, verses 12 to 15? Okay. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Thoughts? Comments? I feel like verse 12 is kind of indicative of the whole entire book of John, where Jesus has so much more to say to them, but he can only give them little pieces because that's all they can handle right now. Otherwise, it would kind of change their entire world with, I don't know if they could accept it all. Turn their world upside down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting the parallels of today also. I, yeah. I'm sure that the Holy Spirit has many things to say to us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's good that Jesus says that. Can you imagine how much more locked we would be in what we've always believed and how much more cl- closed we would be to the Holy Spirit trying to lead us on. Mm-hmm. Which is to say that if Jesus could have said everything, what would Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have told us? Right now, um, it seems that we are very much stuck in tradition. I'm very unable uh, to be able to move beyond what we've always taught and and particularly you change words you would think you know you could address the same idea in different words that <laughs> that have fresh meaning and have fresh insight but often you do that and and it's like you killed the sacred cow and and everybody just can't handle that or at least a lot of people and this this reminds me of Jesus words elsewhere that uh, you can't put old wine in, I'm sorry, new wine in old wineskins. Mm-hmm. The, the, the new wine is the truth, I believe. That's what Jesus is using as a metaphor for it. And you, if you put new wine in an, in an old wineskin, it will burst, mm-hmm. Jesus says. And one of the ways that God has of cleansing the church is to pour out new wine because uh, suddenly uh, it, 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 it leads to uh, controversy it leads to uh, oh disunity mm-hmm. uh, but we're told that it, without that controversy without that mm-hmm. disunity we can't grow mm-hmm. the Lord came not to bring peace so um, I think it's important uh, for us to be open to the Holy Spirit and and to be in a spirit of willingness to change. That's a tough one today. That's extremely difficult, especially you mentioned earlier the traditions of men or following traditions and how this stuckness happens yeah. when we you know, fall into right. the, the traditions of men. And remember what Jesus said, you worship me in vain because of what? 
the traditions of man mm-hmm. or the traditions of the elders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a tough yeah. one. Yeah. What then are the traditions of men? We, now, I'm going to come back to, to something I've said before. Static versus dynamic. Yeah. Still face versus uh, active face. And I've, I've pointed out in this class and, and many other places that when that the beginnings of static art is idolatry. Once you have an idol, you have something static that is not temporal, not in time, but is in place. And it is not active or dynamic. It is still and impassionless. Uh, no expression on the face. No movement. And and in it, and I, I've just finished teaching a class called Babylon the Bible, and we spent one day talking about what the Babylonians did to their gods. The gods didn't do anything for them. They never initiated any relationship. They they were not active. They were totally passive. And so, consequently, the Babylonians had to do all kinds of things for them and to them, uh, and. Uh, so you have this sense of a human-contrived religion that we make our own gods, and then we do things to them, and we call that worship. Mm-hmm. Well, having tradition, having a statement of beliefs that we set and cement, and then treat like a creed. Mm-hmm. Questions on doctrine? Sure. Well, there's more. Uh, maybe I should enlighten you that. There's an attempt now to endorse religion professors in all Adventist universities and colleges. And in order to be endorsed, we have to sign five statements. (laughs) And if that isn't a creed, I've never heard of one. Power and control. So we have these, um, these tendencies to put truth in a box... Shut the lid on the box. You know, if you tune that to light, what happens to the light? <laughs> oh, see, I have this light shining in this box. Oh, I'm going to protect it. Out goes the lid. End of the light. <laughs> the light might shine on the box, but it's no longer in the box. And, and this static form of religion is man-made, mm-hmm. human-contrived, yep. and idolatry. It is as idolatry as if we danced around a golden calf. So I have many things to say to you, and you cannot bear them now, should be the end of our static (laughs) religion. Because only as we progress in our understanding of God can we be said to be walking in the light. The minute we stop still and say we have all the light we need. What do you suppose the static face of the church looks like? Well, we used to call it stained glass, but (laughs) a lot of churches don't have stained glass anymore. Um, They have picture windows. (laughs) I think you can walk into just about any Adventist church on Sabbath morning and see static people sitting in static pews. Mm -hmm. And, And so if we were to take a look at the static face of the church, one place where we could find it, if we can bear the truth is to simply Google Ellen White statue and look at that face. Oh. 
Now you're cutting close to home, aren't you? I'm fourth generation Seventh Day Adventist. What does that static face look like? Or maybe the bust of the former general of a former general conference president in the general conference building. Seriously. Or the statues of people welcoming the second coming that are in the in the lobby of the general conference. I I visited the general conference uh, for the first time Mm -hmm. last September, and uh, I was amazed. We have beautiful artwork, beautiful static pictures, Mm -hmm. uh, beautiful sculptures all throughout the building. It's a work of art. We, we give a lot of our space in that building. Well, in the adjoining building, I shouldn't say adjoining, the building across a little bit of earth, they have cubicles for everybody, open space cubicles, and that's where the Adventist Review is and, and a lot of other offices. And they don't have space. So the North American Division has up and moved and built their own space. I'm afraid we're very static. And I'm afraid that the way we portray God, even though it has a, he might have a smile on his face, is still static. There's, there's nothing to touch us. We can create it. We can do it. Look at what we have done. We are really into ourselves. And everything is about preserving ourselves. Rather than giving it up. It's over and, there. and what is God to do but just stand there and let us wallow in ourselves? Mm-hmm. Only the problem is we don't get that we're doing that. Because it doesn't appear that way to many. No. Business as usual. Mm-hmm. Hasn't the church been static for many years? Yeah. Why should we be any different? Come on. Seriously. <laughs> There's been many static generations, I'm afraid. So let's move on to some better news. <laughs> That's it, it, it a bit is, depressing. It, it is truly, though, what we could bear. I mean, this is like so timely right now that we get to this, this passage and what is the spirit of truth? Because what is then the spirit of truth? So when the spirit of truth comes, mm-hmm. he will guide you in to all the truth. Adventists were built on that belief, weren't they? The Spirit had guided us into all truth. And more than that, he had given us a gift of prophecy uh, to guide us further into all truth. And, and what is the spirit of prophecy? <laughs> that's a, a term. I, I use that term because that's what the church has long called Ellen White. But that's really not the spirit of prophecy. But it extends beyond that, right? Right. And and here's what I think: that when the spirit of truth comes, he will ongoing continue to guide us into all truth. My sense is that this is. And I need to get a Greek New Testament. Find John. Uh, John. Let's see. John sixteen thirteen. And when he comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. Now, I truly believe that John is very Hebrew. He break in his thinking. Mm-hmm. And in Hebrew, the future, so-called future tense, is also a present tense, mm-hmm. whereas you don't have that ability in Greek. In Greek, it's just future. Uh, but it's an ongoing Mm-hmm. kind of action. 
It's not a static action. It happens. <laughs> it's, it's a dynamic, ongoing process. So uh, when the Spirit of Truth comes, He will g continually guide you into all truth, and that truth will always be progressive. It will always move forward. Mm -hmm. right. He will tell you what is yet to come. Yeah, he's yeah. yeah and, and He will speak whatever He hears, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay, so the Spirit doesn't come on His own reconnaissance. He comes to reveal Jesus to us. Mm -hmm. But that isn't the end of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All that the Father has is mine. Mm -hmm. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Jesus came to speak on behalf of the Father. For this reason, I said, He will take what is mine and declare to you. Why? Because when He takes what is Jesus, He takes what is the Father's. And so the Spirit's ultimate goal is to lead us to the Father and to reveal the Father. The active, dynamic mm -hmm. face constantly moving. of the Father. Constantly moving. Constantly progressing. Right, right, right. Yes. right. Yeah, so it's interesting, and we go back to John 4, then when Jesus, they will come when you worship, will worship me in spirit and in truth. Ah, yeah. yeah. So like, and, I, and I, my mom kind of, I think, misconstrued the verse a little bit because she'd go to Adventist Church on, on, on Saturday and go to Assembly of God on Sunday. And, and when I said, Mommy, it's too much. She had bone cancer at the time. I said, Mommy, it's too much. You need to, like, slow down. And she says, Honey, she says, the Bible says you'll worship in spirit and truth, and we may have the truth that we don't have the spirit. <laughs> like, so she's going there to have her praise music. You know, like, but they were excited about Jesus. You know, she said, we're so, we're so dead. So anyway, I think there's more to the spirit oh, than, 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 than that. But God bless my mom. So, <laughs> well, it's but, but it is true. She was missing something that we don't have. And, and I'm not saying we should start... Um, Jumping, jumping in the aisles and, and, and having senseless feelings. But there, we need our, a dynamic relationship with God that is so active and so vibrant. And continues to grow. And continues to grow. That, New light. That we, we jump out of our box. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's Give it, it to the cats. Cats love boxes. <laughs> And so, my dear, what is the spirit of prophecy? It's the spirit that, that inspires the prophets. Okay, so it's coming from the Holy Spirit to the prophets. He reveals the truth to the prophets. Okay, okay. But understand that the prophets of the last day mm -hmm. may not be like Ellen White. The spirit, that, that, the spirit that inspires You're on it. people. It could be like John the Baptist. John the Baptist had no visions, no dreams, wrote no books. No self-interest at all. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And, and what does Scripture say is the spirit of prophecy? Testimony right. of Jesus. Ah, you, you are. Right. The right. spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And, and so we... And to me, that is the chief test of anybody who claims to have the spirit of prophecy. Is whether they reveal Jesus. And if they reveal Jesus, they have to reveal the Father. Because you can't do that without the other. Mm -hmm. And now what can we bear if we knowingly deviate from Scripture? 
Well, you see, this is this is the real tough part. This is where the sword will cut into the marrow. It, we can't. We cannot uh, shut down the light and expect more. Mm-hmm. But it's true. God wants to bless us. We got to let Him. Capacity. I think. I think of, see, I think of Alan, Alan White's first vision. That is, to me, the keynote of the Advent movement. The group of people moving on a path, a narrow path, set up high above the earth, on their way to the New Jerusalem, and Jesus is at the top of that path. And their eye, as long as they keep their eyes on Him, mm-hmm. they keep moving forward, closer <clears throat> and closer to Him. But as soon as they turn around and look at the darkness and murmur and complain, or look at other people and start bashing them and start... Uh, <clears throat> Denigrating other people, they fall off. They yeah. fall off the path right. into the darkness, and, and to me, that is that encapsulates our whole experience. I mean, what are we doing now, as a church? Are we looking at Jesus? There is a group of people who are, and they're condemned as not quite Adventists. In fact, the leaders of the group got hauled into the general conference. Yikes! <laughs> to answer for their... Oh, it's just a history repeating itself. Who are yeah. the Pharisees today? Anyway, so so then uh, they came out and cried. Yeah! <laughs> you know, it was, it, it was just really sad uh, what happened. But that is our struggle, isn't it? It isn't even to look at what happened. Mm-hmm. It is to look at Jesus. And to, when that's happening, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 regardless of what happens around us, and even to us, is to keep our eyes focused on Him. So this group of people that you referred to earlier—it's the one project. Uh, well, my question went even farther than that. The group of people that are that you had said stay on the narrow path. Those group of people. Do we identify who those people are? I don't think we can. Scripture does. They keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus? There, and the testament, right. There's the, that's the one part, but see, the same spirit, capital S, that we're talking about here, mm-hmm. also describes the characteristics of these people, this group, that appear on the scene in the latter times. Yeah. I think we can describe them, but I don't think we can identify They're them identify, as... watch, as... The vegetarians, or the King James Version says, commanding to abstain from meats. Well, what I'm, what I mean when I say we can't identify them, we can't identify them as a particular church or denomination. I think it, they are just people. It's what we. Can I think bear. what it's I think that one. God's people are His people, and He can identify who they are, but we can't. You know, Peter. That, um, Here's the thing. Um, I like the taste of meat, but I don't like the idea of killing animals. So for the most part, I stay away from eating meat. And and you know what? Um, when I do eat meat, I pay for it physically. You know, with gout and other things like that. So it's just it's just not good for me. But it's tough for me to go as far as to kind of say like vegetarianism is the test because when there's when there's a record in John 21 of Jesus having a fish fry for the disciples yeah. after the resurrection. So so I'm not saying it's not good to be vegetarian. I'm, I'm, please don't misunderstand me. 
I just it's just hard for me to go that far when when the Lord fixed fish for the, the disciples. That, that's all. Right, right, right. I, the the problem they're, I have with are, applying Acts fifteen to to who are God's people is that Acts fifteen they couldn't bear Paul's testimony of who was a Christian, mm-hmm. uh, and so they managed to modify and 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 tighten it up. They were the general conference of their day, and the general conference couldn't bear these things yet. And so I, I, think, I think the best place to go if you're going to identify God's true people is these are the patience of the, here's the patience of the saints. These are people who don't get angry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> going to love you no matter what. Yeah, I mean, right. you, keep, it, you, keep in mind, this is, this, is, this is the piece that ends the third angel's message that talks about the wrath of God being poured out. If the wrath of God is God is divine anger, I'm going to blister you, kind of anger. <clears throat> then why are the patient? Why are the patience of the saints? You can't have patient saints and an angry God. You just can't have those two. And so the patience of the saints are the saints who do not get angry. Hmm. Nice. No matter what the, what happens to them, they do not get angry. And. They keep the commandments of God. And what are the commandments of God? Look at love the Lord God with look all at, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Look at and who is your neighbor? Look at Matthew five. Who's your neighbor? Anyone in need, right? Look at Matthew five. We'll start with verse forty-three. And this is at the end of Jesus' treatment of the last six commandments in the ten. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Who are God's people? What is the identifying mark of God's people? For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you do love, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful passage. Yeah. I mean, so love your if, enemies. Think about this. Love your enemies, regardless of... Love your enemies is what it says, right? What if those enemies are really not your enemies? They only appear as your enemies in this carnate life. How do we know that they've not been placed there for our discipline? Well, even if... even if they our character. Even if they are our enemies. Even if they really are our enemies. Aren't we to love them? That's right. Doesn't God love Satan? For if you love those what reward who love you, what reward do you have? What Jesus is saying here, it's only those who love their enemies truly keep the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. So when you go back to Revelation 14, and here's the patience of the saints. The saints don't get angry. They love their enemies. That's what keeping the commandments really is. They love their enemies. And they have the same trust in God as Jesus had in his Father. So they trust the same Father Jesus had. 
and they trust him the way Jesus did. That is the formula for getting through opposition and persecution and trial. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the way up the path. Mm-hmm. That's not the end of the path. That's the way up the path. The narrow path. The narrow path. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I, my buddy here is really good at that. She has no enemies, none. Like, her ex-husband wasn't the greatest to her or her son. He's not all bad. You know, I don't hate him. I really don't. But she she, she has a lot of reason why she could, and she doesn't. She's very nice to him. She's nice to my ex-wife. She's nice to my kids. She's nice to everybody. She has has no enemies, none. And, um, like, for me, like with my ex-wife, I want God to bless her. I want. I wish her well, and I mean that sincerely. But I don't want to be buddies with her. You, you know. You know. Like, other than like, how are you doing? I don't. You know. I, I, and I really do do want her to have a good life. But like, I, I'm not as nice. I'm just not as nice as her. So, um, but thanks, Princess. So I'm. I'm um, anyway. Well, all of us have places that you have to get better. You know. Well, you're good. You're good. Really, really, you don't have that. My, my stepmom. <laughs> my stepmom are the only two people I've met in my life that that I've known well. That, that are, are like that. So you know that's fascinating. It's what you said earlier about how God. How did you say it? God loves Satan? There's another reference to that in Luke, which is I think this is the only place in Scripture. It's in Luke 10, when the 72 came back. One of the things they that Jesus said um, was that do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven because. Think about this. Those are demons. Those are angels that at one time fellowshiped with the Lord God. Mm-hmm. That's love. Can you see it? Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah. Jude makes it very clear that God is polite, even to the devil. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't give railing accusations against him, mm-hmm. but says, "The Lord rebuke you." Mm-hmm. And now he stands condemned. So, um, back to, to chapter 16 in John. A little while, and you will no longer see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying to us, a little while? And you will no longer see me. And again a little while, and you will see me, because I'm going to the Father. They just can't grasp that Jesus is not permanently here on earth. He's not just like another human being. They said, what does he mean by this a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, you know, you wonder why they didn't just ask him. (laughs) Jesus has to to say, I know what you want to ask me. I think it's their pride. I think they really just have a a lot of pride. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said a little while, and you will no longer see me, and again a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice, and you will have pain, but your pain will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come, and when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought 
a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And I'm going to stop there. <laughs> no one will take your joy from you. <laughs> yes. I, uh, I read a story to my God and Human Suffering class. It's kind of the last act of the quarter. I, I spend the whole quarter mostly listening and asking questions. Mm-hmm. We sit in a big circle, and everybody wrestles with questions about the issue. And so finally I said it was my turn, and the first thing I did was give them a handout on how I viewed the problem of God and human suffering and the solution. And I don't have anything major to add to the discussion. There's many books that have been written that are very excellent. They're, they only present a part of the whole. That's all a book can do. There's mm-hmm. simply no masterpiece out there that can address it from all sides. But... Um, Finally, I ended with a story that I wrote in 2004 or 2003, and it got published in the Adventist Review in 2004. And it's called Joy in the Morning. And it's the story of my long, grueling 15-year grind to get my doctorate. Mm. I, I ended up in the wrong program. I, I thought I wanted to do New Testament. I did. I also had planned that when... I finished my New Testament doctorate. I would go back and learn Akkadian so I could study the ancient Near East because I wanted to get to the bottom of Babylon. And um, I didn't bother to ask God about his plans. God has an interesting way of dealing with me. So I uh, signed up for a program that was called the Joint Program in Ancient Near Eastern Religions at the University of California, Berkeley. Mm and the Graduate Theological Union, also in Berkeley. <clears throat> I thought I could do New Testament because it said they went into the Roman period, and you could cover the Roman period. So I thought, well, that's New Testament. So I, I signed up for the program, meant, uh, applying to two, the two institutions, getting accepted by both. And I arrived here in California. I was, I was overseas when I applied. Uh, I arrived back in California in 1987 and met with my advisor two weeks before school started. I handed him my plans to study Romans. And he hit the roof. He said, this program is not New Testament. You cannot do New Testament with this program. This is only Old Testament program, and you can study the ancient Near East. Wow. And I drove home with my world turned 180 degrees. And realizing that my someday was God's now. And this is what he wanted now. But I was ill-prepared. Totally ill-prepared. I had planned on New Testament, not Old Testament, not the ancient Near East. Specifically? And so so I I ended up in this program for which I was ill-fit, competing with students who had taken three to five years of Greek, of Hebrew, I'm sorry, mm. of Hebrew. If it had been Greek, it would have been wonderful. But he, three to five years of Hebrew classes before taking their advanced doctoral level classes. And I had a very poor one year of Hebrew, which was equivalent to by a few weeks of mm. <laughs> Hebrew. <laughs> and uh, on top of that, I had to work full-time starting my second year before I was finished residency. 
So I was taking full-time classes, working in a full-time job. Uh, and the last quarter of the last semester in, in my residency, you have to do two years residency, uh, in that last quarter, I taught my first class here at PUC. Wow. On top of all. I mean, I was just, I crawled through my doctoral program. And I'm not great at languages. Whether it's aptitude or just not enjoying the tedium, I don't know what it is, but I just am not great at languages. People think I am because I'm, I've studied languages, but I, it isn't my best suit. So it took me nine years to pass all the language exams I had to pass. I had to pass four, French, German, uh, Hebrew, and Akkadian. Why French and German? Uh, that's standard for all theology studies, theological studies. Because a lot of the very important works are done in German and French. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. And that's been, that's been explicitly true in areas that I have studied. Uh, I have to use German. I have to, uh, and I've used yeah. it postdoctorally. Mm -hmm. Back to Bohemia, right? Um, so, um, yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. so anyway... Um, took me 15 years. So I, I wrote this up. And I wrote how, when it finally came, I, I actually, I just couldn't, I couldn't let myself think of success because I was so afraid of failure. I just knew I was going to bomb out at some point and it would be all over for me. And so I shut down my creative energy. I shut down everything except my memory and... and uh, Cognition, basic cognition, and just kept plowing along. And I didn't think of, I didn't think of graduating. I just didn't think of it. So I'm standing in line in, at the GTU graduation, and I'm talking to my line partner, and we're commenting on how. You know, this is, we, neither of us were, were prepared for the finish line. You know, it just came up and hit us. <laughs> and uh, so there we are. And all of a sudden we hear this amazing noise spilling out from the chapel where we had the commencement exercises. The audience is clapping and cheering and to the music. And the music and the clapping and the cheering are spilling out over there. And she said, oh, my, I didn't know there would be this much emotion. And I'm, I, I think I'm going to cry. And I didn't bring a tissue with me. <laughs> you know, and, and I felt the same way. I was like, I didn't expect this. I expected a very staid, proper kind of graduation. And uh, by the time we marched in the building, the, the audience was on their feet, stomping and, and cheering and <laughs> clapping. Uh, and the music, of course, you could hardly hear the music. Um, and I, I remember the, the, uh, the emotion in the air and the energy was so powerful that it almost literally carried me down the aisle, and yet I was shaking from it. It was, wow. just, it was just overpowering. So then I, I sit there and uh, I memorize, okay, uh, when I get up there, I have to bend my knees so that my, my advisor can put the uh, regalia over my head. And, and then I have to take my diploma and shake hands with all the dignitaries. And, and I'm, I'm trying to memorize this because I'm just scared to death I'm going to forget something. <laughs> and so I get up there, 
And I bend my knees, and he puts this on, and then I look in the back. And here's uh, Hernandez, Her Angel Hernandez and Greg Schneider jumping up and down and cheering me on. <laughs> and I, I, I totally blanked. <laughs> my, my advisor had to tug on my sleeve. I was going to ready to walk off the platform without my diploma. <laughs> my advisor had to tug on my sleeve. Uh, and um, I, I, I went on to say in the article, you know, um, I never anticipated the finish line. I never... I never really came to grips with someday this was going to end and I could celebrate and what I was going to do to celebrate. I never did that. And consequently, I couldn't celebrate. And I likened it to Jesus coming. You know, to hear us talk in the church about all the troubles and all our problems, you would never dream we're on our way home. Amen. How many times do we plan on what we're going to do when we get there. How many times do we think about after the pain of childbirth, we're going to celebrate, aren't we? Is, this, is, is Jesus coming going to be such a shock that it's over? It's over? What do we do now? <laughs> oh, it's like we're so caught up in our trials that we can't really absorb what it's going to mean when we get home. And so I end, the, I end this uh, story, I want to be there in every way. When the universe goes wild with cheering. You know, and I think of that graduation. What's it going to be like with all the angels standing on the, on the walls of the new Jerusalem just cheering us in? Um, when all when all nature pulsates to the sounds of celebration, and when God looks at us with joy, love, and pride, as the saints go marching in, mm -hmm. and and to me that's what you know what Jesus is talking about here is. I know you guys are going to just be so depressed pretty soon. I'm going to be in the tomb. You aren't going to see me again. Uh, you're going to think it's over, that you're never going to see me again. But I will see you again. And, and then you, I'm going to be taken away from you again. And it's going to be a long, long sleep before you see me again. But you will see me again. Mm -hmm. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. I think we need more sermons on the second coming, not as a better get ready. <laughs> no PowerPoint. Not to say not to say that we shouldn't get ready. But how do we get ready? I mean, um, I think some of the songs of fear that the church has inherited through time. Uh, are you ready for Jesus to come? Da, 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 all that fear. I, I, I grew up with that fear. Uh, it was a constant thing, constant theme in the Adventist church. You're a fourth generation Adventist. I'm a fifth generation Adventist. I grew up the same way. I, and, think I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, me too. I'm fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so 
that that fear so overshadowed anything that the joy of Jesus coming just didn't escape us. What would happen if we spent a 11 o'clock hour thinking of the joy of Jesus coming? If we really know him as he is, we have nothing to be afraid of, to look forward to his coming. And can we not look forward to that and rejoice and anticipate it and plan on celebrating it? It's just like the virgins who some of them took oil for their lamps and the other ones did not take a jar of oil. But we'll get the jar of oil later. Fascinating. So I would like to suggest that we anticipate it with joy. I had a student in my God and Human Suffering class one day we, we were talking about the life God originally created and the life that would happen again. Mm-hmm. That's near the beginning of the quarter. She got off on a, I, don't, I can't say rant because this was, this was joyful. Uh, <laughs> a joyful rant? Joyful rant, if there can be such a thing. But she just went on and on and on, just bubbling over about what she was going to do in heaven. And she was going to talk to this person and talk to that person, and she was going to do this and she was going to do that. And, and she was just bubbling over, and I was sitting there in just joyful amazement that a student in her 20s had that kind of joy and anticipation. Because usually in your 20s, you're like, but I want to get married first, but I want to have kids first. But I want. <laughs> you know, fruits of the Spirit right there, yeah. But she, she did, and I, I, uh, at the last class period, I thanked her mm-hmm. uh, for, for having that spirit of anticipation, anticipatory joy. After uh, all, it's a wedding banquet. Our time is up, and this is a good stopping place. So Mark that um, we, no one can take our joy from us between now and next week. <laughs> and we will start with verse 23. And poor Doug will be gone when we do chapter 17, I'm afraid. Because I think they've left for Oregon or Washington, rather. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to be gone when we did that. He's back on the 11th. So I'm wondering if we should skip chapter 17 and come back to it when he gets back. Would that be a kind gesture? Mm -hmm. After all, the Bible is not in chronological order. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do whatever, wherever you you take us and the Spirit takes us, let's go. All right. That's beautiful. Let's pray. Dear God, When we think of the joy that is before us, the trials of this world start getting really dim. And we find ourselves alive in your presence, looking into your face, anticipating that joy of reunion that we have waited for for thousands of years, collectively, as we've been absent from you. Pray that that picture of that first look into your face might remain with us to cheer us on our way so that as we share and as we bask in the blessed hope, 
we may joyfully pick up our cross and follow you home. Amen. Bless us and guide us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.